Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We've got our uh, last episode of the bye week coming up here, and we got another special guest coming in. We started with Ben Albright with our first interview with him, if you want to listen to that. We then went to Walter Mitchell, the uh, Revenge of the Birds staff writer, and uh, now we have kind of the uh, overall site, I guess you could say site guru or site sensei in Seth Cox, uh, our first ever sort of crossover episode with the Rise Up Sea Red podcast. Uh, we're going to talk some Cardinals football, talk some of the Rams game, but before we get into that, Seth, how are you and did you survive your Thanksgiving uh, I'm great. Yeah, we had our first uh, Thanksgiving at our new house, and we hosted my wife's family, which is typically between 40 and uh, 50 people that show up. So it it was a uh, it was a good night. It was a long long day, but uh, you know it's always fun to hang out with family and have a good time. So uh, now we're on to uh, Thanksgiving number two on this Friday before uh, before the uh, long football weekend, or as the long football weekend continues, I guess. So. Yeah, it's rivalry weekend, and uh, wow, 40 to 50 people, that's like almost a 53-man roster right there if you wanted to put a whole game together at least, so that's uh, that's crazy. Uh, let, let's go ahead at least and talk a bit about with the Cardinals coming off the bye week right now. They're at 3, 7, and 1. I know you guys have your own podcast. You've had a lot of points. There's obviously been a few differences, but what has been the biggest thing overall so far to this season that you've seen from the team, especially with what our expectations were um, just going into the season kind of up until this point and then what are some of the things you're expecting at least on the back half I think the biggest thing we've seen this season is that the expectations changed rather quickly and and it was interesting in that sense because you you saw the the Detroit game and now obviously uh the Lions are 12 games into their season, and, and I think we all know that they're um, they're a deeply flawed team despite the talent along the roster. So that made it interesting to kind of go back and look and say, hey, that's a that's a 
actual fair comparison to the Cardinals. I mean, talented team missing a couple key pieces that just doesn't know how to win games late. And, and that's the same thing you're seeing, you know, with the Cardinals now. And, and if you would have told me in week one that they're kind of mirror images on the opposite sides of the ball um, with each other, I wouldn't have believed you, but to see that the Cardinals are trending up at three, seven and one while the lions are trending down at three, eight and one tells you kind of everything you need to understand about the NFL. Uh, you set your expectations of, Hey, this is a rebuild. Steve Kime never really wanted to admit this, but this was a basically a complete teardown and overhaul. And when you hired, you know, when you fired Steve Wilkes, when you decided whenever it was, to move on from Josh Rosen to Kyler Murray, that became the complete rebuild of this roster. And now we are seeing the kind of growth of the team. They have the worst um, opponent winning percentage in the NFL. So teams they have beaten are the worst teams in the NFL. However, that just means they're not one of the worst teams in the NFL. And that's kind of how you have to look at it. One season in, they're not one of the worst teams in the NFL. They are playing at a good enough level where you're not overly concerned about the future. You're actually looking at the future and going, hey, this looks like a team that is going to continue to grow in 2019. 2020, we're expecting more growth in the sense of, hey, this is a team that should compete for a wild card spot. And then in 2021, you're going to get a team in the sense that, hey, this is a team that um, should be competing for the division. And as we've seen outside of Seattle, every team in this division is a year away from falling back down to earth. Hmm. Yeah, that's definitely at least something you can see from the quick rise of the Niners this year, which has been uh, above expectations. And then uh, even the Cardinals upcoming opponent, the Rams performing below expectations. But let's talk a little bit at least just about um, the play of the number one overall pick in Kyler Murray. That is obviously the main storyline for the Cardinals um, and part of the big reason for their offensive improvement. You can take a look at least at how the team last year was ranked at 32nd in offense in pretty much every statistical category except for red zone offense. I believe they were either 27th or 20, to 29th in that range. What have you seen so far, at least from Murray? Has it been kind of to what expectations were, above expectations, or just because the offense has improved, is there still maybe a little bit too much expectations that people have been putting on the number one overall pick? I think when you look at it from a couple perspectives, uh, he's, you know, completely exceeded expectations. I think both of us would agree. We'd like to see the red zone touchdown efficiency higher. They're, they're the, mm. they just dropped to f or moved up technically to the fourth worst from the third worst in the NFL during their bye week. So great job not having to do anything on the bye week and <laughs> gaining a spot. However, they are a top, nine i believe team in terms of uh touchdown or scoring drives per possession which is absurd to think of when we remember where the hell they were last year and how right. bad it was last year um i think the biggest flaw or 
you know, issue this year is, is, you know, been the touchdowns, not getting touchdowns consistently, not seeing the touchdown, um, the resulting drives or the drives resulting in touchdowns. And I think that is the one negative um, to Kyler Murray. But then you go back and you say, well, he's a rookie. Their, their weapons outside are super limited. They mm-hmm. don't have that game breaker wide receiver. You've seen, you've seen games where they've had, you know, Larry Fitzgerald put up big games. You've seen games where they've had uh, Christian Kirk put up big games, but you haven't seen consistency from week to week from anybody other than Fitz is good for, you know, seven catches and about 55 yards. But outside of that, um, and I think the biggest thing this season has been the fact that they've gotten virtually nothing from the guy that everyone, including them, expected to carry the offensive load next to Kyler, and that's and that's David Johnson. And so when you look at those, all of those things, you look at the fact that this team is quarterback and coached by r- rookies. You look at the fact that this team lacks um, game breakers outside, and then you look at the fact that the guy that was supposed to be kind of the workhorse, the guy that that was consistently making plays in the offense is not doing that. I think you have to be incredibly impressed with where they've been able to rise to under Kyler Murray in just you know 11 games thus far in his NFL career. Yeah, I I would agree. You read my mind there essentially on where I was going to go next as far as the narratives coming into the Cardinals for this season was um, essentially they hired a college coach out of the air raid system with a losing record. It was nationally critiqued almost as badly as the ASU Herm Edwards hire for another uh, local football team hire. And the other thing that was bashed a lot was the offensive line, which was considered to be, you know, one of the poorest of in the NFL last year and came in with overall very little changes um, outside of uh, signing a Marcus Gilbert from the Steelers, who is a injury prone risk reward uh, through a trade with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, essentially, we've seen a flip of the script where now Kingsbury is considered to be one of the strengths of the team, along with the offensive line, which has been seeing consistent play outside of the right tackle position. And you have the two of the kind of core four stars, including Fitzgerald, Jones, um, with David Johnson declining, and Patrick Peterson. So it's not just a talent issue with the team. It's that there's a lack of talent, and some of their essentially core talent seems to have declined in a big way this year. Obviously, David Johnson more than Patrick Peterson. What are some of your thoughts on... Uh, just the play of Cliff and Kyler, as well as what do we have with Peterson and David Johnson now moving forward? As there's some big decisions to be made, it seems like with some of those players who are paid like they were going to be, you know, top top five players at their position. Peterson's expecting to potentially be paid as a top one, and they just have not been producing like we expected. Yeah, and that's the hard part is is when you look at the guys that are meeting or exceeding expectations versus the players that are not living up to expectations. Um, Like you said, outside of Chandler Jones, nobody that is expected to be game changers on this team, especially defensively has really exceeded expectations. Um, I think Buda Baker is meeting his 
his expectations at this mm-hmm. point. He's playing at an incredibly high level, um, but I wouldn't say he's exceeding his expectations. I think Jones defensively is really the only guy. Um, so, like you said, that's made a huge impact in a negative way um, on the team. And then you have the offense where you're you're exceeding expectations from virtually all the people you had no expectations for. I mean, you're exceeding expectations from what was perceived to be an incompetent offensive line. And now it's just, I mean, it's still below average, but it's not bad. And, Mm -hmm. And when you have a quarterback like Kyler Murray, as we've seen in Seattle for the last decade, you just need a bad offensive line to survive and give, give this guy a little bit of room, a little bit of time. You're not always going to have Baltimore Raven-esque offensive lines. You're not going to have dominant offensive lines where they're creating, you know, where you're running for over 200 yards a game um, because of how good the offensive line is. So I think the fact that you're exceeding expectations from the players you're not expecting, and then you're, falling below expectations or failing to meet expectations from many of the players you were counting on. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it, it just kind of brings into focus where they're at this season. As a team, you have a group of guys playing at an okay level on the, on the offensive line and that's exceeding expectation and allowing the offense to be, from an efficiency standpoint, one of the nine best in the NFL. I mean, they're the ninth-ranked DVOA offensively through Football Outsiders right now. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, they were the worst in NFL history that Football Outsiders has ever um recorded. I mean, you have to you have to go back to the 1980s to find a comparably bad offense as what the Arizona Cardinals were last year. So, to see that jump of, you know, 23 spots in one season, that's absurd. But then on the flip side, you look at how they've been in just terms of counting stats uh on defense, you look at how they've been on, in terms of um you know, analytical efficiency on defense and see how bad they are. And you go, all right, well, I think I found where the problem is and why um, it's so important. And and I know we're going to get to this. It's so important to take advantage of this next four seasons with Kyler Murray and really just spend extravagantly on a defense that will keep this team in games. Yeah, definitely agree there with um, the defense has been, I think, the biggest marked point for this team. Um, last question before we get into our preview of the next opponent. With the defense being at the level it is, a lot of people are looking at the uh, the overall you know, calls and the play and the identity that Vance Joseph has created with a lot of both man coverage, soft zone, some of the even cover zero blitzes that we've seen that have led to some big gains or touchdowns like from Andy Dalton or Matt Ryan, even this last week against the Niners. But how much of that is also Joseph feeling like he's not been given anything to work with, with you know, three rookie defensive backs and Patrick Peterson coming off of a six-game suspension? So as far as for assigning whether it's blame or if there even is blame to be assigned, it's just how it is. What is what Cardinals fans need to look for and see over 
the last few games isn't more of a this is where the defense is you know that's where it's set up and then you go back into next year and see what joseph does after that spending or is this ultimately a core philosophy issue do you think with the defense that joseph has you know been playing with the cardinals i think the the blame is probably still going to lie at 75% on Steve Keim and, and the roster he's built. Now I will say this, the Darius Fallon situation, I, you, I don't think you can blame Kime. Robert Alford. That's another one of those. I know teams wanted him um, outside of the Cardinals. I know he had offers outside of the Cardinals, However, I know for a fact that the Cardinals were the only team willing to give him the three-year deal with basically two years being fully guaranteed. Um, And so that was part of the reason they signed him. And you can't predict a broken leg. I mean, that's – so it's different than the injuries he's had to deal with the last couple of years. But in the same sentence, it's also the – time mo of really getting somebody a little bit cheaper on the market value because they do have those injury concerns and then of course they get injured you talked about marcus gilbert earlier but you lose Fallon, you lose robert alford dj swearinger did you see him get run over uh by sam darnold in the, oh gosh, the jets raiders was, game that was uh, kind of hilarious just to watch with how the not only did the raiders fall apart it was interesting just to be able to see how it wasn't simply a you know philosophy or not playing hard for arizona type of issue it just looks like he's kind of given up on wanting to make tackles yeah it just looks like he's cooked as a player i mean and so you have you have the swearinger situation and then you put into the fact that you're supposed best player on the defensive side of the ball um patrick peterson is suspended the first six games so all of that is not on steve kime i don't i don't blame steve kime for those situations now the bad obviously the terrell Suggs signing the continued neglect of the defensive line early in the draft processes um you know to sign veterans or to take late round kind of flyers on athletic big guys from small schools that hasn't worked out. Um, I think the Hassan Reddick that, you know, kind bears the, the responsibility for that. So when, when you look at the negatives of the roster on the defense side of the ball, I think a lot of it still falls on Kime. And for that reason, while I don't think Vance Joseph is a very good defensive coordinator, I don't think you can put more than 25% you know, percent of the blame on Joseph's schemes. I think, I think he is afraid because of the lack of talent he has, and that makes him um, play a very soft defense. It makes him play an unaggressive defense. However, mm-hmm. you saw that you know, in the – in the San Francisco game, when he does play aggressively, it always seems like it's the wrong call at the wrong time. And so that's where, that's where my issue comes with Vance is that, you know, in the first San Francisco game, um, they, they, they didn't play it aggressively at the end of the game. They gave up three third down conversions. 
um, after Kyler hooked up with Andy Isabella to get it within a, a field goal to tie the game or mm-hmm. potentially win the game. And then he, you know, and then he plays that soft zone. He gives up big cushions and, and it, and it doesn't work out. And then, you know, you go back to this game and he goes the opposite direction and blitzes, uh, you know, goes to zero, zero blitz on a, on a play where it, they would have, had third down to still go for it. They were still in field goal range. Like the worst you were going to do is get a eight yard sack and push them eight yards back to like a 45 or 47 yard field goal. Um, right. So, so from a philosophical standpoint, that's where I struggle with when and where is he, is he bringing pressure? When and where is he, you know, is he being aggressive and why is there no flow or consistency to his, to his schemes? Um, that's where I struggle with him as a, as a, defensive play caller um and that's where i would lay the blame for him and his his coaching this this year yeah i i i think we've had this conversation with john where if the cardinals were really willing to just play the press man coverage like how even patrick peterson said he was excited to get back to press man and we haven't seen it um with todd bowles defense you saw a lot of kind of living and dying by the blitz in the press instead vance's seemed to uh, ever since the Lions game where they gave up the long touchdown overall to Danny Amendola and then another one to TJ Hawkinson, it's felt more of a trying for a bend but don't break defense, but it's then still allowing quarterbacks to essentially dink and dunk down the field for the tune of 400 yards and still ending up in the end zone with a, you know, usually a touchdown to the second string or so tight end, which will it'll be interesting, I think, to find out over the last few games Um considering the Cardinals let go of Wilkes last year for not seeing any defensive improvement in the run game. Um, like you said, a lot of it does fall on Kime, but that's why it's interesting as far as the philosophy of Vance Joseph, in my opinion, has changed now where the run defense has been fine. It's the passing defense that's been ranked 31st overall. So as a result, you're not sure if it's just a difference of the same talent or same level of talent or how much of this is going to be um, – uh, some of the scheme stuff. I know we had Ben Albright on in the podcast earlier this week. He did talk about some of the success that Joseph had with the Broncos when he had talent that seemed to fit the team a bit more. Uh, it'll be interesting to me to find out how much of uh, that will end up continuing because there were definitely some drawbacks uh, to his defense as well. As of right now, Seth, would you feel like that you would be comfortable bringing Joseph back for a second season, assuming that the Cardinals are going to go out and spend a ton in free agency, bringing back maybe players that fit Vance are more comfortable with and hoping that there aren't as many um, off-season uh, areas. Because I, I know right now, at least for the Cardinals, they're looking at two games only, it looks like, at most from Robert Alford. And there's a lot that seems like it needs to be fixed overall from linebacker to secondary. Um, and there's not really an impact defensive lineman. If all those areas are addressed, do you then feel more comfortable bringing Vance back? Or do you think that this is going to be a no improvement, no second year type of situation? I think you bring him back for the fact that you, I, I, there's two, this is twofold. I think you bring him back for the fact that I don't see anybody that's going to replace him that's going to bring the um resume that the cardinals are wanting in their defense coordinator um in terms of having been a dc and a head coach the 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 situation to watch there would be if um 
they're willing to get out of the three four um, funk and get a guy like Dan Quinn or maybe even like a Matt Patricia type if if and when Patricia goes in Detroit. Hmm. Um, also, the L.A. Rams situation is interesting to look at because I've heard that they're the Wade Phillips experiment is getting close to the end there. Um, hmm. don't, don't know if that's going to happen or not, but they're, they haven't been happy with the defense, which is interesting because I would put a lot of the blame on the offensive side of the ball in LA. But so I don't know if you're going to have the options to replace Vance um, with what they're looking for. And so if you're not going to have an option I'm not sure it's just good to fire somebody just to bring in an unknown and hope that they can do a better job. That, that being said, if their defense loses three more games late, like they have the last three games where they've got, or or two of the last three games and then, you know, three games overall this season where they can't get stops on final drives that could, you know, end the game for, for the Cardinals. Mm -hmm. It's going to be hard to justify, especially when if Cliff and Kyler are putting up 30 plus points in those games and and losing. Right. It's almost a case of you can't really it's almost a case where you just have no choice but to let someone go, which is similar to how we saw with the end of the year for Steve Wilkes with um, some of those games and just the perpetual blowouts and lack of stopping the run. It was almost and it was almost like you just you couldn't afford it because if you came back that next year and saw little to no change then all of a sudden you feel like it's now a uh, wasted year essentially if you have and the Cardinals have essentially built you know almost their entire coaching staff around Vance and Vance's guys since Cliff did not have uh, the resume and was you know the I, I also don't think the Cardinals would have wanted him to hire a lot of the staff of the guys that he had since they had a certain model they were trying to approach and that model was a mirror of the uh, Los Angeles Rams, essentially, with their young Sean McVay type, the Wade Phillips, former uh, head coach, who is the uh, essentially head coach of the defense. Uh, let's go and let's talk about the Rams, because this is uh, fascinating to get to this point, considering where the expectations were for the Rams ahead of the season. Uh, they were coming off of a Super Bowl appearance in 2018, where they were second in yards per game, second in total points and points per game. It was a dominant offense, and ever since the Bears game last year, even going into this year, uh, the Rams have slipped and they've fallen into where now they're 16th in yards per game, points per game. Um, even the yards per play has dropped to about 5.6. What's interesting is if you look at um, the Rams and the Cardinals from an offensive standpoint, uh, they're almost incredibly close as far as even almost mirror images of each other. Uh, the Rams have about 353 yards of offense this year. Cardinals have about 343 yards per game. Uh, their time of possessions are almost identical. And right now, L.A. is only one spot ahead of Arizona, putting up 22.6 points per game. The Cards are putting up 22.5. So as much as you've seen a leap from one of the worst of all time, um, from the Cardinals' perspective, um, even as football outsiders, I was thinking of it. They've been third, I believe, in the NFL since week four overall as far as the DVOA rankings on offense. They've jumped up to about a average team, which is it's fantastic for the first year. The Rams have gone from an elite offensive team and have fallen all the way down to just being average on offense. 
Um, the only difference in the team being that the Rams are also likewise average on defense, whereas the Cardinals are 31st. Um, I think it's against the pass in most categories. So uh, let's go in. What, what was the biggest reason that at least you've been able to see for this collapse? Because what most people have just pointed to is the offensive line and the players that have moved on. And then on the defensive side, it seems that they were probably an average defensive unit last year that lost um, guys like Namakang Su uh, and Akib Talib. What have you seen as far as been the biggest decline for a team? Because, you know, the Cardinals were outscored 130 to 25 under McVay previously. It doesn't seem like the Rams are that sort of team that can, you know, uh, put up that sort of offensive dominance at least anymore against uh, every team in the NFL. Yeah, I think a lot of it just comes down to this is a, a defense that that lost some juice and some of their um, some of their you know swagger when you when you look at like you said Sue Talib got hurt um, Marcus Peters just didn't have he didn't look like the same guy all of a sudden I mean you look at what he's doing with Baltimore now and he's got that kind of he's got that feel back to him like he's this elite player again that goes a long way especially especially on defense defense a lot of time is about attitude i mean i know it's i know it's um cliche to talk about this but when you have an attitude defensively of hey this is we're we're a great unit we're a bunch of you know badasses you can't compete with us we're gonna we're gonna beat you up you you tend to play that way um this year, teams have just said, okay, we're just not going to let Aaron Donald beat us anymore. I mean, talking about double and triple teams during games, um, daring guys like Dante Fowler, Michael Brockers, uh, Corey Littleton to to be the best player on the defense. And and for whatever reason, none of those guys have stepped up in, to fill the void. Um, and now you're kind of seeing the, I don't want to say downfall, because I still think they're a good team, um, but you're seeing kind of the coming back to earth. You're seeing the fact that when you pay absurd amount of money to running backs and, and um, you know, you, you make all in trades, if you don't win in that one little season or that one little window, things are going to fall apart really quick unless you're the New England Patriots. I mean, outside of the Patriots – who maintains success with that model? I mean, we've even seen the Seattle Seahawks have to completely revamp their team outside of Russell Wilson. So when you're paying guys that I don't want to say don't deserve to be paid because Todd Gurley's a, I mean, he's one of the best running backs we've seen in the NFL in the last decade. However, when you're paying positions that are more easily, um, replaced like running back like safety um, like on ball linebackers Mm -hmm. uh, or off ball linebackers you're seeing you're seeing teams not be able to uh, continue to pay important positions Uh, interior offensive linemen obviously that lost Roger Saffold John Sullivan retired Uh, you you spend a lot of money on a guy like Brandon cooks and all of a sudden he's having injury issues again. And then 
you know, you're, you're struggling to find guys to replace him um, because you've got so much tied up in, in cooks and, and Gurley. But I think, and, and I know you agree with me. I think the biggest downfall of this team is just simply Jared Goff is very much uh, been found out by the NFL at this point. I mean, you're talking about a guy that threw as many touchdowns as Blake and I this this last this month of November. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he literally threw zero touchdowns the entire month of November. And when that happens for a team that is struggling to run the ball consistently because of the offensive line problems is dealing with injuries and ineffectiveness from the receivers, your best player, your highest paid player, one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL has to play like that or things are going to get worse. And, and we've seen this year that they've gotten worse. Yeah, definitely agree. It, it does seem like a lot of the blame right now falls on um, just the fact that the Rams, they right now do not have a first round pick until 2022. Um, the way that people have talked about with building their teams, and this has been kind of a, you know, we've had a lot of fans who are like, hey, like early in the season, there were some fans wanting to trade like a first for a player like uh, Trent Richardson as far as, you know, trying to bring in a veteran who's more of a proven player, proven commodity playing at a high level. The Rams are almost kind of now have turned from the way to build a team into a contender almost to a warning lesson of, like you said, um, if you don't hit in that one to two year window, all of a sudden you're looking at the trade and the amount that's been paid to bring in a guy like Jalen Ramsey. And instead of it being kind of a success, you're seeing it have almost little to no impact just because your quarterback is limited as far as for out of the structure when um, when you have those limited weapons around him aren't healthy with uh, guys like Cooks, you said even Robert Woods. And I do feel like that's limited to some aspect what Sean McVay has been able to do. Um, granted, he is also, I think, in my opinion, um, not changed as much or made as many alterations. And that's part of the reason I think when you're saying has been found out, he's well, do you feel like it's part of McVay maybe not adjusting as much to with the league or is it more of just he's completely limited by who he has at quarterback? And is this one of the cases where Cardinals fans who are, you know, excited to try to find the next Sean McVay in a guy like Cliff Kingsbury, is this kind of a potential warning lesson as well? Or do you think that Kingsbury has something additional that maybe McVay currently doesn't have, um, whether that's Kyler Murray at quarterback, or is there something more than that that we've at least seen schematically or game plan wise? I think we've seen it this year that that Cliff is willing to do whatever his offensive talent dictates. And, and you look at this year, he came in, he was running a, just a ton of 10 personnel. That's what he wants to do. I mean, you and I have friends that work for the Cardinals. We've talked to them about what the the idea was coming into this year. And the idea was they were going to go four wide a ton. They were they were going to run a bunch of four wide. They were going to spread out the box there and that was going to allow David Johnston to work against light, light boxes, be able to use his, you know, kind of combination of speed and power and, and have good running lanes. It was also going to take pressure off of the offensive line of, of trying to block, you know, six or seven or eight with five. And so, and then the, the, offense didn't have four receivers worth being out there very much. I mean, mm. and, and so 
by game, you know, four, you're seeing more, you know, 11 personnel. You're seeing 12 personnel every once in a while. Um, you're seeing some 21 personnel with, with David Johnson and Chase Edmonds or David Johnson and, and, and Kenyon Drake now. And so I think that that speaks to Cliff, the play caller. I also think it speaks to Cliff's background in college being a little more helpful than expected because when you're in college, you're beholden to the players that you can recruit. So when you have a Patrick Mahomes, you can do different things. But when you go from Patrick Mahomes to who, whoever the hell was next yeah, and, and you're still winning the same amount of games, you're, you're still putting up similar points and yards. Um, and you're able to adjust your scheme. I mean, think about think about it from this perspective. Um, Mahomes is the only day one or day two draft pick that Cliff has had. Mm-hmm. So it's not like Cliff was doing a whole lot with a bunch of guys that are, you know, five-star recruits that are getting drafted early in the NFL or even playing in the NFL. Uh, you know, you go back and you look and it's, I mean, Jason Morrow, but that wasn't one of Cliff's recruits. And then you, and, and he was a bust in the NFL and then there's Mahomes, and that's really it. I mean, you can give him credit for Mayfield and, and, and everything for finding Mayfield and developing Mayfield as a freshman to, you know, then transfer. But when it all is said and done, what Cliff is able to do is scheme incredibly well to whatever he has um, personnel-wise. And that's just something that a lot of NFL coaches aren't great at. And the reason they're not great at it is because they have, they're able to bring in the talent they want or they're, they're per, they perceive that they want. And then they get there and they fit those guys into the scheme that they want to run. Um, we haven't really seen that uh, be effective. I mean, you look at a guy like Pat Shermer in New York. Uh, he, you know, he got the guys he wanted. He was making moves that he wanted to make. Um, and it sounds like he may not get another year uh, in mm-hmm. New York after two years. Uh, so that's that's what's going to be interesting to watch um, is, is, you know, is Cliff going to continue to be a guy that is multiple, that's willing to move, that is willing to change what he wants to do from an offensive schematic standpoint? And, and obviously it's incredibly early, but I think through one – season we've seen that he is willing to do that yeah I, I think one of the most encouraging things that I saw last year when Kingsbury was coming in was um, went to watch the Texas Tech game to get a preview of Kyler Murray when we were looking through you know there was a lot of the rumors everything that was out there which ended up turning out to be true overall but it was impressive to watch the uh, Oklahoma Texas Tech game in which um, when you look at the end of the game, the score at least seems a bit different, but watching the game, what the context of the game was very impressive from a standpoint of Kingsbury, because you're talking about a team that went to the final four playoff, um, with the overall Heisman winner. And at the end of the game, he essentially with, uh, had lost his starter, had a third string quarterback and had a failed two point conversion away from tying the game up in the fourth quarter with just about a minute left or so. Um, that was one of the areas that I think ultimately kind of sold me on 
uh, just the ability to adapt because it's very difficult to see most teams when they see their starting quarterback go down. We even uh, mentioned this earlier with the Detroit Lions who are looking at a similar aspect with the Cardinals. They lost their starting quarterback and essentially have kind of gone from a team that was maybe a tier above Arizona to now being on a pretty much similar level despite uh, you know the argument that you could have more talent around you. So that's been one of, I think, the most encouraging things for me at least to see with Kingsbury. Uh, getting back to the Rams game, uh, coming in, the Rams gave up essentially were embarrassed on national television uh, to the Baltimore Ravens overall. Um, it was one of the uh, most, I think, impressive games for Lamar Jackson, who uh, <laughs> was probably, at least people looking back now, the uh, maybe should have been number one overall pick that year is what it's looking like through two years. Granted, there's still a lot of NFL to be played, but losing 45-6 to to... Um, the Baltimore Ravens, and it was also, I believe, a game that was in L.A. as well, um, unless I'm mistaken there. Th th coming into this game, the Cardinals defense, for all that we've talked about, for how bad it is, they're giving up plays in the red zone right now at a 72% of the time, 72.73% over the last three games. So almost three out of every four times someone gets into the red zone, the Cardinals are giving up points, at least for the most part, if not, you know, giving up <laughs> uh, touchdowns, which has been a, kind of a ludicrous rate. The last three games, the Rams have been 32nd in the NFL on defense. They've been giving up those plays 80% of the time for that. So coming into this game, Seth, we know that the Cardinals have had a worse defense overall than the Rams. They're probably about, for the most part, been average on offense for each, but it almost feels like that this is a hot Cardinals team that's coming in against a Rams team that's just been miserable on offense and has a defense that has not necessarily quit, but like you said, it looks like they've been giving up. What is, at least from your perspective, the chances that the Cardinals have on this game? Is this a spot where, you know, a lot of Cardinals fans are coming in confident that the team maybe not will get the win, but they should at least get the win with how they are? What are your thoughts, at least overall, with the coming into this game, especially off the bye for Cliff Kingsbury for the first time in his career. I think this is a really important game for the Cardinals to see where they're at in their overall maturity as a team. Um, you look at, you look at, as you said, the incredibly awful performance by the, the Rams at home on Monday night football against the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens are a probably a very good team, bordering on great uh but they're they're a great offense at this point and and their defense has improved leaps and bounds since the last time we saw them in week two that all being said <clears throat> it's rare to see nfl teams play back-to-back -back complete stinkers mm. um, I, I went through it um on the site this week and looked at games that have ended in, in blowout type scores. And then the next game of those teams. And most of the time you're seeing, um, you're seeing teams come back and play at a better clip. Now context matters, obviously. So I went back and looked at the Cardinals blowouts last year. So they, mm -hmm. they lost, to the Redskins in the first week, they were blown out in week two wholeheartedly uh, by, by the Rams. And then they came back and played really closely with a uh, good bears team lost 13 to six. 
So, I mean, that's a that's a inept Cardinals team that loses to a Bears team that went 13 and three. The uh, then you had the Thursday night meltdown massacre, whatever you want to call it, where they get blown out by the Broncos at home. Um, Ten days they come back and they actually beat the San Francisco 49ers. Um, so that's, you know, that's interesting to see. Then, then you had the chargers blowout where they went to LA and were embarrassed 45 to 10. Um, they came back the next game and beat the green Bay Packers. Now for all intents and purposes, that game and the, the 49ers games fall into the not good teams perspective. Mm. However, if you, if you, if we're just being honest of who the Cardinals are, I wouldn't say they're a good team. So the Rams are coming off an embarrassing loss at home. They're going to be playing for obviously their playoff lives, but also for pride. They're going to be playing for the idea of like, this is not who we are. We're going to come back and, and, and show the NFL that we're still a talented team. So I don't expect this to be that situation where they just roll over and play dead. Um, I'm not sure that they are the powerhouse they expected to be or many expected them to be. The Super Bowl hangover for losers is incredibly real. It's something that we see every single season outside of New England. And so when you look again, um, I think this is a game that – you want to see the Cardinals come out, not only play well, but win. Uh, but right. it's not going to be just this, hey, we're going to come out and play well and win type thing. You're going to, it's going to be a dogfight, and the Cardinals are going to have to prove that they can play at this level. Yeah, I, I, I agree because, like you said, even last year, you – a lot of people have almost come in, I would say, even overconfident from the Cardinals aspect, going, oh, well, if Lamar Jackson put up those points on them, at least, then uh, clearly Kyler Murray's got a similar skill set. And while I agree with that, it also, I think, is worth noting that um, the Ravens' offense at this point is much, much more impressive um, as far as with the weapons, the skill set, and even with Lamar Jackson being able to run just as a... Uh, overall cheat code i i don't feel like that this is a cardinals offense that's going to be able to like you said go in and dominate against an average rams defense it's, even though their defense is over the last three weeks declined it's not like that they've gone and are you know uh, that the cardinals are the 31st worst defense and the rams are the 32nd so um what i at least feel like with the cardinals what you want to accomplish i think in the way that you would win is the way that you have been essentially winning games is you're having Kyler Murray be able to make enough plays, being able to convert uh, in the red zone, and overall miss, not having missed opportunities. Um, because this is uh, ultimately with this defense, you almost have to play a perfect game from the offensive side and capitalize on defensive turnovers um, almost every time in order to be able to play. So uh, I guess I'd say be able to win the game. So uh, for me, I think if you come in, your goal should at least be to keep up the pace of being able to make Goff uncomfortable be able to at least force, you know, a sack fumble or a turnover um, and also not get beaten by at least the, I think Gerald Everett was hurt this week, which we talked about, which would be a boon for the Cardinals as he's a very talented tight end. Um, but with a guy like Tyler Higby behind him with um, guys like Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods potentially getting healthier and Cooper Cup being a guy who's burned the Cardinals in the past, 
I really just have kind of questions at least overall about, uh, like you said, Seth, I don't see this game being a blowout for either team. I think it's going to be close, but I'm not quite sure as far as for who's going to essentially make the least amount of mistakes. Uh, what are your thoughts, at least as far as how the Cardinals, if the Cardinals win this game, what do we need to see on Sunday to say, yep, the Cardinals are going to win this game because of X, Y, and Z? I think the biggest thing you're going to look for is um, competence on the defensive side of the ball. You talked about it. While the Rams haven't been what anyone expected them to be, again, they're a virtual mirror image of of the Cardinals offensively, statistically, and they're not as efficient as the Cardinals, which is just wild to say. But uh, you, you look at it, they're still able to put up points. Um, they've you know they've put up 40 against Tampa Bay they put up 37 against the Falcons 30 against the mm-hmm. Panthers you know 29 against the Seahawks 27 against a great Saints defense they they're a team that can put up points the question becomes are they closer to the team that's struggled lately that the last 3 games they put up 17 in a in a win uh 12 in a loss and six in a loss or are they more of that first um half team that's putting up you know over 30 a game i think for the for the cardinals they need to find a way to keep keep the rams under 30 points to have a shot in this game if they're gonna keep the rams offense under 30 points i think this team is trending in the direction where they're going to be able to put up 30 points per game no matter who is who is on the other side especially mm-hmm. since they've done it against the 49ers um again the cardinals are the only team all season to score over 25 offensive points in a game against the the 49ers yep. and they did it twice the seahawks had a defensive touchdown in their in their win over the 49ers um so you know, when you look at the Cardinals offense, they put up 26 and 25 against a great 49ers defense. That's that's the most points that defense has allowed all season. This is a team that should score over 26 points a game every single week. And if they're doing that, you just have to have, like I said, semi-competent bad defense as long as you're not putrid as long as you're not bottom three in the nfl uh, defense you're going to have a shot and that's where the cardinals need to be um not just this week but the rest of the season if they want to win games Mm -hmm. Um, right now we have not seen that and that's going to be really the key to this rams game they have to stop a rams offense that has been struggling the last four games to put up points they haven't scored over 20 i don't think since um, when was the last time this, since their week eight win over the Cincinnati Bengals? Yeah, like and it's been a whole month. It's been almost a whole month since they've been able to do that because it's been a month since Goff has thrown for a touchdown. Yeah, so I mean, their last three games 12, 17, and six, uh, <clears throat> 35 points is not a lot of points uh, in, in an NFL um, month. And, and so that's the, that's going to be the biggest thing. The Cardinals cannot be the get healthy team. They cannot be the team that teams are able to get back on track against. And, and that's what you have to watch at this point. Yeah. And so far they have been that sort of team, especially when you're looking at with Garoppolo, even the Carolina Panthers starting a rookie in Kyle Allen. This is the, uh, the game where you'll get to see, I guess the first time Kyler Murray will go up against a dominant pass rushing force that is Aaron Donald and while he's not you know leading the league in I think sacks and pressures like he was a year ago 
Um, you kind of have a flashback to the Quinn and Williams Alabama game. Um, and it's also interesting as far as just from the schematic standpoint, the Rams have had issues with running quarterbacks for a couple of years now. You even look at last year as at that home game and Josh Rosen ran all around them because they just did not have the ability to um, contain the edge. On the other side, you have the dominant play of Chandler Jones and a Cardinals attack that hasn't gotten to the quarterback a ton, but has still been able to force probably one or two fumbles and pick up some big plays. So in this game of Jones versus Donald, what are your thoughts as far as for the Cardinals being able to neutralize a guy like him? Uh, and is that going to be enough for the Cardinals to be able to win on offense? It should be, especially because if you look at what uh, Jones is, or Donald has done this year, he's been a guy that you've game plan for um, and not the teams weren't game planning for him before, but that you game plan for. And then you try and make sure that he's not the guy that beats you. Um, teams have been able to do that this year. And that's, that's why the Rams defense has not been as effective is because they're not letting teams are not letting Aaron Donald be the guy that, that just destroys them. Um, if that's what's happening, you're going to have a, a good shot at winning this game. If Aaron Donald's getting loose and being the, and, and, you know, ends up with a three sack game and, and really controlling the line of scrimmage, it's going to be a long day for the Cardinals offense. And that's not something we've seen all season. I mean, we've seen them contain Nick Bosa. We've seen them, you know, play well twice against the, the 49ers pass rush. They, they did a nice job early in the season against the Baltimore pass rush. So if, if they're able to contain Donald uh, and make somebody else beat them, I think you have to feel like that's going to be enough to at least on offense, do enough to win the game. Right. Yes. Um, let's go ahead. We'll ha hit our score predictions at least at the very end of the podcast as we do, but let let's take a quick look ahead at least with the season for the expectations while we got you here, Seth. Um, the Cardinals, at least after this Rams game, will be going at home against the Steelers and Browns. Uh, Browns team, which has been struggling with a, a lot of ex-Cardinals coaches on the side and a former Cliff Kingsbury quarterback who, you know, maybe the maybe there's a little bit of beef that's still there. Although with uh, Baker, he may have beef with uh, pretty much anyone, it seems like, these days. Um, then you got on the road against the Seahawks. You're hoping to potentially play spoiler. That 2013 game in Seattle comes to mind. You wrap up against the Rams on the road again. What do you think as far as for this team right now? You can say on to some level that it's already been a success because of the huge improvement on offense. But what do you need to see over the last five games, including this game of the season, to kind of you know check that box and say, yes, the Cardinals took a step forward? Uh, how much do you need to see? Is it the offense being able to perform at a more dominant level and keep improving and having the defense be the same? Or do you just need to see the defense be able to go out there and put together some half-decent performances that allow the offense to not have to play perfect every game. But what are your thoughts looking ahead for that? And then we can talk a little bit of uh, early 2020 needs. I think when you look at it, you look at the fact that you're hoping to get um, growth on the defense. You're now, you know, you've played a half season with, with Patrick Peterson. Um, so I think the biggest thing is you're, you just want to see growth on the defense. You've, you've got the guys that are there now. I think Pat, or I think Cliff Kingsbury's statement of, you know, there's nobody from the outside going to come in and, and help us. These are the guys um, when Patrick was coming back was a big statement and, and something that fans 
probably should have listened to a little more closely about maybe that it wasn't going to get better. Um, so you, you just expect to see the team get a little bit better to play at a stronger clip on the defensive side of the ball, maybe makes more plays. Again, they are really bad at creating turnovers, which is um, a, a bad thing, especially when you consider that the Cardinals don't turn the ball over at all on offense um, because now you're not giving your team any short fields to work with. So that'll be the biggest thing to me is can this defense become opportunistic? Can it create Mm -hmm. scoring chances for the offense? Um, Because we know that they're not going to get a bunch of stops. So as long as they're getting some stops in the form of turnovers, I think that'll be the best thing for this team and, and allowing the offense to be you know functioning at a high level yeah that's the biggest hope because you can talk about how last month or so Jared Goff I believe he's had um oh is it like five interceptions six sacks zero touchdowns that's the biggest thing I think I need to see um from the Cardinals um before we just jump into the final score prediction let's talk about 2020 because you and I I think were two of the first people who were able to immediately look at this Cardinals team along obviously with your co-host and identify that wide receiver was probably a much bigger need than anyone had considered for the Cardinals Um, I even had I know a discussion with um, one of the local radio hosts and Jody Ayler he's dead set on believing that if the Cardinals have a top 10 pick which seems very likely at this point that he says that because of the depth in the draft he would go towards an offensive or defensive lineman um, just trying to address protecting and uh, or being able to create something on defense to be able to push up which is interesting because you know the the biggest needs haven't really been on the offensive line or the defensive side for the most part it's been much more of issues in the secondary and the Cardinals not being able to finish in the red zone so uh, what are some of your thoughts as far as for you already even mentioned with wide receiver uh, why do you think that's going to be one of the biggest things the cards will look forward for or should look forward to um, in the offseason and potentially even if their first pick in the 2020 draft one of the biggest things I found in my research recently is how little impact rookie offensive and defensive linemen have on games. Hmm. Um, and, and even like uh, off-ball linebackers, you look at Devin White, um, it took him basically 10 games to really get into a rhythm in, in, on the, in, in that Bucks defense. And by the way, that Bucks defense is miserably bad. So. Yep. So when you look at it from that perspective, I think a lot of the times people get this idea that, hey, you draft Quinn and Williams, it's um, it's going to make your team so much better. And then you look at the you look at the Jets defense and that doesn't really happen. It's not a it's not a true statement. And, mm-hmm. the, you know, Quinn and Williams has had a very low impact on the Jets defense this year. Um, he's not playing at a at the level or expectation that many had for him. Um, and that's not that's not his fault. Um, I don't think it's his fault at all. Uh, I just think that sometimes we put expectations on on players and then when it doesn't work out, we go, Oh, well, and, and we, we don't look at the reasoning behind it. Um, you know, when you're talking about a guy like Quentin Williams, he was on a incredibly talented Alabama defense. 
with a number of high-level players around him. And he was getting 90-plus percent of the snaps. Um, you look mm-hmm. at you look at what he's doing in the NFL. He's playing in less than 60% of snaps for the Jets. Um, he, he just started to get over consistently from uh, game seven, eight, nine, and 10. He played over 60% of the snaps. And then in game 11 against Oakland, by the way, their best performance, he played mm-hmm. less than 50% of the team's snaps. Wow. So, and, 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 and he's had, I think he has one sack on the season. Um, and so this isn't a shot at Quentin Williams. This isn't anything, but people were talking about him in the same breath as Aaron Donald. Yep. Uh, that's not who he was. That's not who he was going to be. Sorry. He has one and a half sacks on the season. Um, so when you, when you expect, when you bring in expectations for rookies, we have to set those extremely low and understand that, it's a learning process for those guys too, because they're having to win one-on-one against NFL players. Even when he played at Alabama, how many guys did, did Quentin Williams play against that were going to be NFL starters? Um, and, and how many starters did he play with as well on that defense? Right. And so he was getting a ton of one-on-one work against guys that are now selling insurance, you know, selling cars that are, you know, coaches. He, he wasn't playing against, all pros. He wasn't playing against guys that are as big and as strong and as fast as him. And so that, you know, that's what you have to remember about dominant performances um, by interior defensive linemen. So all of that being said, I don't like the idea of drafting an AJ um, Epinanza, you know, for, for example, at pick eight, let's just throw a number out there at pick eight. Uh, to play a 34 defensive end when you have a guy like Eric Armstead who is a proven NFL commodity. He's already taken his lumps as a first and second year player. Yeah, you're going to pay him 15, 16 million a year, but that's you have the money to spend and that's what you should be spending the money on it are game changers that have already produced in the NFL. You then you then can bring a guy along like Zach Allen behind him and, and then when in year three, Zach Allen is starting to play well or mm-hmm. play at an extremely high level. Now, all of a sudden, you have two years of those guys together. And what ends up in, what ends up happening is that the team is better. And then guess what? You can pay Zach Allen, cut Eric Armstead. It's a, it's a, it's a way that you kind of create this overall dynamic on the defense as opposed to just this, oh, let's let's just draft guys um, and expect them to play at a high level immediately. I think you pay uh, veterans along the offensive and defensive fronts. Mm-hmm. And that includes that includes linebacker. I mean, we've seen the difference between a Jordan Hicks versus uh, Hassan Reddick, mm-hmm. and I think that's I think that's where you spend your money. And then your your rookie deals are spent on skill positions because those are the guys that have the ath- overall athleticism. Um, to translate quicker in the NFL, they have a they have a less adjustment period, um, especially guys you know at wide receiver coming from spread offenses into Cliff's offense. Run, running backs we've seen. I mean, Kenyon Drake came in and in three days put up the second best um, game by an Arizona Cardinals running back this season. Yeah. So 
I think that's where you spend your draft picks. I'm not saying you ignore the offensive and defensive line. I'm saying you understand that, hey, if we draft a guy on day two, that you're going to need two to three years to see the growth in that guy. And then they play alongside or take over for the big money guys. Yeah, because of the offense Cliff has run as well, I don't know if you necessarily need to have a dominant offensive line. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that you completely ignore the line, at least because you have Murray. We've seen that have some detriment with guys like Russell Wilson, but you're seeing him because of the offense that he's running with Cliff, because of the mobility, being able to have production, despite the fact that you've got you know, a guy like DJ Humphreys, who's been average for the most part in his tenure, and that's even when he's on the field, and having a free agent claim such as Justin Murray or even a guard at Justin Pugh at tackle on the other side. Uh, I, I'm with you at least. The Interestingly enough, the Patriots have kind of followed a similar model with spending first-round picks on a running back in Sony Michelle and this last year in Nikhil Harry. Um, it wouldn't shock me if the Cardinals um, would look at their team, and like you even said, there's no current alpha dog that you have for the most part on the outside or a guy who can – you know, win 100% of the time. Christian Kirk went from three touchdowns against the, uh, you know, the <laughs> the Bucks at least, to, you know, beating Richard Sherman one-on-one, but not really providing as much in the red zone, um, even having a penalty, that's the case. The Cardinals adding another player to an offensive identity uh, type of team. Uh, I think that if you can get that type of player added where you can boost your offense from averaging 22 points a game or so, maybe about 25 now, to over 30 points a game, there's going to be a lot of wins that you can make for next season without even having to do as much on the defensive side. Because, you know, if you can get 30 points a game and the defense is still giving up 27 or 28, you're still going to average getting a win more often than not. Um, so, yeah, what, what are your thoughts at least then on if the Cardinals should go for a receiver at least for the top board? Just brief thoughts at least before we get to the score predictions at least if that's the case because a lot of Cardinals fans right now are essentially you know just watching CD Lamb on, Sunday, on Saturdays I should say and hoping that he'll be repaired with his QB yeah I mean you got guys like CD Lamb you got a guy like Henry Ruggs in Alabama uh, even like mm-hmm. a Jalen Rager in, at TCU that I think all fit what the Cardinals want to do offensively and that can that can win um, at various levels and, and so that's the biggest thing you know when we talked about earlier in the show what we know that the Cardinals wanted to do um, on offense we know that Cliff Kingsbury wants to be able to run 10 personnel which means you have to have four wide receivers two outside two inside and and the thing is this they have a guy in Christian Kirk that they love as a multiple guy, meaning he can line up inside some routes, he can line up outside some routes, and then all of a sudden you have a matchup advantage. As long as Larry Fitzgerald wants to come back and keep playing, he's going to be in the slot. Um, so that's mm-hmm. a guy that's going to play in the slot. The problem became they they came into the year and they thought, hey, Keyshawn or Hakeem can win one of those outside roles, and, and then Keyshawn kind of won it and then they got into the season and he wasn't really good at it um his his reps fell off they were transitioning andy to kind of more of a slot guy um he was an outside receiver in college so it's just there's a ton of a ton of nuance that comes with with rookie receivers um late in you know in the middle to late rounds that that you have to understand and that's where the cardinals were 
a guy like cd lamb is a game changer outside inside he can play anywhere he's a multiple guy that's what they need they need an alpha Mm -hmm. they need a deandre hopkins type and that's you know kind of the the comp that we've seen and and guys that we trust that we've spoken to um that's the comp we've gotten for cd lamb is that he's a deandre hopkins type doesn't mean he's going to be as good as DeAndre Hopkins, but it means he can he can be in the same realm of a player. And if that's who he is, that's a guy that you look at what Houston's done with with Hopkins and Watson and how good they are together, the the belief they have in each other. And then you look at what they've added in a Will Fuller, a guy that can truly take the top off the defense. Hey, you have that in Christian Kirk and Andy Isabella, maybe even a Hakeem Butler when he comes back. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden you've got this just dynamic pass catching unit that gives that, that is able to grow with Kyler Murray over the next three to four seasons before you start having to make, you know, financial decisions. Yeah, agree. And uh, it's tough having to play so many of those rookies when your two guys you trusted as veterans on the outside in Kevin White and Michael Crabtree both uh, kind of totally tanked, uh, maybe a little unexpectedly. So that's just some of the repercussions that we've seen for the Cardinals and part of why it seems that there's still a need there for that type of uh, big outside guy that Kyler can throw the back shoulder or the 50-50 balls to. Um, Still don't seem to have that guy fully on the uh, Cardinals roster. Uh, Let's go and talk as we wrap up this edition of the Revenge of the Birds podcast with the score predictions. I have this as a 30-24 to game. I don't know exactly if I can pick which team it's going to be for right now because I almost feel like that could be a push where if you tell me that the Rams come out, they're not going to, you know, struggle for a a second or third game in a row and that this defense becomes a bounce-back game for them, I won't be surprised. On the other hand, if this ends up being a game where the Cardinals are able to go out, be able to not turn the ball over, take maybe advantage of some sacks or some fumbles, put up some points, and then the Rams make a second-half comeback push late, and then it comes down in the end to um, Kyler getting the ball to have to drive, maybe scoring a touchdown, and then you look at it being a, you know, maybe it's a missed opportunity on the Rams that it comes down to. That wouldn't surprise me either. Uh, I would pick the Rams only in this game because, like you said, Seth, I don't see them with the talent that they have, with the staff that they have, completely melting down, uh, especially against this defense, which I feel like you can't totally trust. And I'm not sure the Cardinals are able to take a step forward just yet to be able to run them out of the building, similar to the Ravens. So I've got the Rams with this one, 30-24, to but it would not shock me if that team who wins is flipped. What are your thoughts and what would be your prediction for the game? I think the Cardinals win this week. I think they're able to win a close game. Um, I think they're clo- they'll close a game for the first time um, in the since the the Giants win, um, where they actually close it and the other team doesn't lose it, like the Falcons mm-hmm. game. Uh, so I think you're, you're going to get a 34-26 Cardinals win. And that would essentially be trusting Jared Goff to uh, when he hasn't been really trustworthy for the most point at all this season. And that'd be exciting, I think, for a lot of Cardinals fans going into the potentially winnable Steelers and Browns games. Well, thanks again so much for joining, Seth. Uh, Appreciate it. Uh, Again, if you do guys want to look up for Seth, he effectively, to some degree, whenever there's not people, there is a lot of Revenge of the Birds. You can always check out all of that online for the content. And Seth, if you want to plug your Twitter account or anything else as well, or even your uh, podcast, 
Uh, I'm sure that there's probably very few people who haven't already been kind of following that if you're already a Revenge of the Birds listener, but why don't you go ahead for those that do not know. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter uh, at SCOXFB. Um, if you have any complaints, you can always send it to uh, to my other account at AFC, the number two NFC. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, that's the one where all my complaints go to, so just make sure you send it there. Um, and, and yeah, you know, Blake and I, uh, we have a great group over at Revenge of the Birds. Um, we do things a lot differently than a lot of other uh, Cardinal sites. Um, we're big on making sure that we get out kind of our, our opinions on what's going on and, and try and give, you know, really good takes on, on the team and where it's going. Um, you'll still get the news and some information, but we try to also give out a little more um, than that as well. Yeah, I was going to say your alternate account is a little bit less curmudgeonly at AFC to NFC if you wanted to look at that than, uh, than your normal account, Seth. So uh, thank you guys again so much for joining us. Uh, appreciate everything that you've been able to come on in for that one. Um, obviously, we're rooting for a Cardinals win this week. Uh, thanks again. That'll wrap it up for us on the Revenge of the Birds podcast with your complete card coverage. See you guys again on the other side of the LA Rams game. Take care. <laughs>